Fare thee well, Princess Landing Stage. River Mersey, fare thee well. For I'm bound for California, a place that I know right well. So fare thee well, my own true love. When I return united, we will be. It's not the leaving of Liverpool that grieves me. But the fact that we sailed off into completely the wrong sea. And now, instead of California, we are here in Brilliant Bay. Welcome to the Island of Brilliant, the podcast that treasures all that's brilliant in children's books. Nadia, how have you been? <laughs> How's your hammock? Uh, How's it swinging? It's pretty good, thank you, Frank. It's pretty hot, I can't lie. Uh, yeah, the Twixes are melting on the allotment, I think. Well, I've abandoned the Twixes now, and instead um, I've got a chest freezer full of Calippos, <laughs> cola-flavoured chip uh, Calippos, which are the best flavour. So, uh, yeah, life's pretty good. Just been chilling out here, reading some books, chomping on Calippos, that kind of thing. Sucking a Calippo. So what? I didn't want to say that. I was avoiding <laughs> saying sucking on a Calippo, Frank, because this is a children's book podcast. I'm just so happy that that chest freezer got washed up and that we had all the solar cells necessary I know. to power it. It's good. We're going to put it to good use. Yeah, we are. I'm also happy because a suitcase from the Americas, clearly, has landed on the island of Brilliant because it's full of Trader Joe's dark chocolate covered pretzels. Oh. And I've got a bag right here. And it's delicious. And they, so I'm having a great time. Do you eat them straight from frozen? Uh, you can do. You can let them warm up gradually in your mouth. Okay. I prefer to let them come to room temperature. Actually, this is a serious point. I like all my chocolate slightly refrigerated. With that extra little bite. Little snap, extra little bit of crunch. Um, but listen, enough about my chocolate witterings. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about a couple of books I have been loving. I'm gonna Are you ready for that? Yeah, I'm going to hold your Calippo to help me cool off while you tell me. You hold my Calippo so that I can show you. Well, no, thank you, because the first book's a picture book, so I do need you to do that, because okay, I want you to see these illustrations. This book is a picture book called Wellington's Big Day Out, oh. and it's by Steve Small, who you may know. Steve Small um, is a picture book illustrator, and he has illustrated books with Smritty Halls. Ah, I'm sticking with you, yeah. and I'm sticking with you too, about a bear yeah. and a squirrel yeah um and he also illustrated actually this is the second book that he's written and illustrated his first was the duck who didn't like water which i loved and this one wellington's big day out as you can see frank is about oh. a little elephant oh i love those pictures called wellington and um it's his birthday it's his big day and his mum and dad get him a jacket a big blue jacket and it is just a bit too big for him and Wellington is quite upset by this, but his dad says, don't worry, we're going to go into town and we're going to go and visit a tailor and we're going to have, um, and then we'll go and visit a tailor, meet granddad and then uh, come back home for a birthday cake. So it's a very simple day out for Wellington and his dad. Um, and the illustrations are just beautiful. They're so characterful. I think Steve might have had an animation background and you can really tell because the characters are so expressive. But as with all great picture books, um, this one really made me laugh, but it also made me actively sob <laughs> because oh, there's a bit, there's a, and it's, but it's done in such a light way. There's a bit where they go and visit Grandad and he lifts up Wellington. I'm going to show you a picture here. Sorry, listeners. 
that you can't see this oh, gorgeous so image gorgeous. of Wellington being lifted up by his lovely granddad. But I can read you a little bit from it. Yeah, that'd be great. Happy birthday, Wellington. My, how you've grown, said granddad. Wellington smiled, but the smile didn't want to stay. Wellington's new jacket is too big, said dad. It's not too big, said Wellington, letting out a long sigh. I'm just too small. And there's a picture of Wellington looking quite bereft oh. on the staircase. It's the next page that got me, because then Grandad and Dad join him on the staircase, and they're gazing up at a gallery wall of pictures throughout Grandad's life. You see him as a young elephant playing cricket, and then on his bike and graduating. It's gorgeous, and... The text reads, Grandad sat beside him for a moment. I was just the same when I was young, Wellington. All I wished for was to grow up as fast as I could. That's the trouble with wishes, he sighed. Sometimes they come true. At that oh. point, I started weeping. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it's not, it's not as sad, for all that, it's not a sad book. It's so warm and lovely and gorgeous. It would have been a great Father's Day present. However, Father's Day is gone, so get it for next year. <laughs> But if you don't, I just wanted to really highlight it because I think Steve Small, well, actually, he's, he's just producing great work at the moment. And I, I find it really exciting when there's an illustrator. You can I tell. his colours, you know. Yeah, his yeah. palette is beautiful and his style is beautiful. And I just, you know, when you just know someone's kind of hitting, hitting they're, they're kind of in a golden streak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, f I feel like that's what that's what is happening with Steve Small. Like his, his books have been fantastic. I can't wait to see what's next. So that is my picture book pick. And then... Do you want a Calippo break or can I, no. can I steam into book two? No, you steam in. Book two is by a writer called Dave Shelton. Do you know Dave Shelton? He wrote a book called A Boy and a Bear in a Boat. Oh, yeah. Which I won love the Bramford Bows Award yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. Isn't it brilliant? Yeah. It's kind of a meditative book about a boy who finds himself in a boat with a bear. Yeah. And it's very philosoph philosophical. And I was trying to dig out my copy of it because the original hardback version of that has got one of the best dust jackets of any children's book I've ever seen it's just a blank map it's a map of the sea with nothing on it apart from kind of a coffee a coffee ring yeah yeah I it's fantastic that. and that and it folds out and it's actually the map I think they maybe reissued it with a slightly more traditional cover to which I say boo find yeah. find a find a version with the you original can't beat cover a map. that's so good you can't beat a map no so this book is called monster in the woods and this, this is a new one so this is going to be out uh, this August and um, I didn't know what to expect when I started to read this, but I was just, it was, I genuinely could not put it down. Uh, well, I did. I put it down at about midnight last night and finished it off uh, this morning because it was just so readable and so funny. Like, if you think kind of Terry Pratchett vibes, um, oh, wow. okay. a little bit hitchhikers, it's set in a kind of fantastical medieval past. And it's about a girl called Frith. And she along with her dad it's kind of a peasant village she you know that they are peasants for want of a better word but that is kind of the kind of words that are used in the book and they go on this slightly fantastical journey to a great kingdom for kind of technical reasons i can't really go into and when they're there they kind of they meet the king and it's all about kind of power corruption and lies oh wow uh, meanwhile their village is apparently being ravaged by a monster in the woods who's kind of killing cattle and stealing crops and people are up in arms about it and the king and the king's men promise that they're gonna 
solve the problem of the monster in the woods they won't solve the other problems like the problems with kind of everyone not having enough to eat right and and all the rest of it but they'll solve that problem oh, okay. um it's a satire but kind of with a light touch yeah. it's genuinely very 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 funny that does sound like a pratchett plot actually yeah it kind of is and she meets a they meet a disembodied head in the middle of the wilderness this like huge stone head who's just one of the best characters i've read recently it is clearly a satire of kind of our current political times but it's done in a really light way dave is a comic book artist as well yeah I knew that. Yeah. so he's done the illustrations for this as well irritating isn't it when people yeah and they've talented. got that i think that comic book thing shows him that he's got this great way of creating a kind of an image that really stays with you that sums up the book yeah. like the boy in the bear in the boat or it sounds like the disembodied head in the woods yes does it have yeah. a name the disembodied head yeah the disembodied head is actually not in the woods the disembodied oh, yeah. head is in a kind of wilderness the great beyond and it is called the big wise head oh i love I'm that. try and find a picture of the big wise head for you there's the big wise head I was going to say, this is, I mean, this is not, hev- it's quite illustrated, but it's not heavily illustrated. I would say this is upper middle grade if we're going to get into categories. So, you know, 10, maybe 9, 10-ish, right. that kind of age. But it's really funny. I really think Dave is a fantastic writer. So I implore you to read this one. I mean, I really want to read the Shelton thing because there is sort of a, it's not exactly disembodied, but there is a big head on the island at the entrance to the velodrome <laughs> yeah if you go down the you never go down is the velodrome <laughs> but if i go the don't velodrome, like I, it freaks me out the velodrome <laughs> like, well it's because of the big head but i always like when i'm at the velodrome <laughs> mm. <laughs> working out you know getting my speed up getting my personal best up <laughs> i like to think that Pumping that big iron. head is, is looking at me thinking really go Probably frank is. go frank you know yeah and you wonder why i don't you wonder why i don't like to go to the velodrome frank <laughs> it's not just the cycling shorts it's also the giant disembodied head it's mostly the cheering giant disembodied you on head. there's nothing wrong with my cycling shorts yeah i don't feel like i feel like i'm interrupting something when i come back to the velodrome. i prefer to keep myself busy yeah, it's, in the, very, uh, vegetable patch. it's very motivational so those are the books that have been keeping me busy so i'll swap I'll you my calippo one. back now please. yeah i'll swap well i'll swap you the dave shelton for a calippo yeah here you go okay thank you very much you can just have one Oh, oh dear. I'm so touched. Do you think Calippo, do you think all this free <laughs> advertising for Calippo means they'll send us a crate of Calippos? Well, I'm hoping so. And that's, I hope so. I'm sure that was yeah, the original too. idea. <laughs> we need yeah, sponsored by Calippo. <laughs> <gasps> Imagine. Do you want to know what I've been reading? Sure. I've been reading two books that I think are both going to be like the start of something. So I've been reading Onyeka and the Academy of the Sun by Tilda Rokogwu and that yes. is basically it's a Marvel franchise disguised book so it's about a superhero from oh my goodness. Uh, a girl f- well she's a British girl with Nigerian roots and big hair which she mm-hmm. finds kind of unmanageable but it turns out mm. that her hair is her superpower Ooh. that she can manipulate her hair in a kind of Medusa like well a benign Medusa like way and when this mm-hmm. ability comes to light she is recruited for the academy of the sun which is a kind of superhero school for superheroes in nigeria and nigeria is a kind of wakanda type state it's like a local superpower a local yeah look political superpower with tons of kits and it's very you know it's a marvel book 
but it's very very well done it's incredibly exciting the heroine is really Onyeka you kind of really like her and she's the kind of superhero you want to meet okay. so that's good and kind of opposite but but also similar uh, in that it's obviously going to be a franchise is JT Williams mm-hmm. the Lizzie and Bell mysteries number one drama and danger which is about Ooh. two young black women in uh, the 18th century in London one of whom is the famous Dido Bell who was a countess and the other is Lizzie Sancho who is the daughter of Ignacio Sancho who was a publisher in London in the 18th century who I've always had a bit of a soft spot mm-hmm. for because he was a good friend of Lawrence Stern the writer of Tristram Shandy uh, which is my favourite book wow. so I'm very glad to see his kids having a starring role in a book and it's a kind of yeah. detective book it's like if you can imagine an 18th century Nancy Drew type of thing mm-hmm. they solve a great mm-hmm. mystery and it's set in the theatre world so it's, it's lo- lots of great worlds the 18th century is a great world theatre is a great world and these two young women are full of you know brains and sprightliness and it's it's very 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 engaging is it illustrated or is it it is illustrated or? sorry it's illustrated by simone douglas and the illustrations are mm-hmm. actually rather lovely they're very elegant and simple okay uh, but very beguiling it's got a lovely cover look that cover makes you want to read it doesn't it two young women running through an 18th century interior and look at this picture of a palace on the back very nice that's amazing. So you kind of want, yeah, it's got a kind of toy theatre vibe to it, actually, mm-hmm. which is very, which is very appropriate to the subject. So I love that. And this is the beginning of a series. Well, it's called the Lizzie and Bell Mysteries, and there's only one mystery in this one. So there must be going <laughs> to be okay. another one. That's my, that's my detective no reading. on you. Yeah, that was me is reading this, between those have lines. Have you got? Hmm, elementary, my dear Nadia. <laughs> I know, I was about to say, do you go into your mind palace? Yeah, I just think. Plurals. Wow. Plurals is a clue. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, it's lovely. You surprised right. me. The, the friendship oh. between them is great and they're both highly admirable. Frank, can I stop you for a second? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just, um, I was listening. It's just while you were talking, I couldn't help. Can you just look out to see? Is it a huge calippo? I'd be really happy if it was a huge calippo, but it doesn't look like a huge, it looks hairy. It's not a calippo, it's a hippo. <laughs> Try and move away from the calippos, Frank, because it's not. Whatever this is, it's not a but it's moving towards us at a pace. Oh, it has the power of speech. It's appalling. It's coming onto our beach. Hide behind it. Frank! What Frank, is it? Frank, can you stop hiding behind me? <laughs> I know don't. what it is. I'm not... You go. I recognise You go. It. I don't know. What is it? That what? is the founder of a small nation, the leader of a benign cult... The successful children's novelist and broadcaster, and full time, my nemesis, Danny Wallace. Hello, Frank. We meet again. <laughs> we are not so different, you and I. Let me just, I just need to pay this guy. Torsten, thank you. Marvellous as always. How much is that? Three pounds? Wonderful. Nadia, good to see you. What is, is that for me? That Calippo? Thank you so sure, sure. much. Um, this is a wonderful way of getting around. Have you used this yet? I, what I, is it? Oh, you no. must. You simply must. I was going to fly here, but this is the latest thing. It's a baboon canoe. <gasps> and that's Torsten. He is a canoe baboon. And they're all over the place now. You can get them anywhere. And I thought, well, what shall I do? I download the app. It mm-hmm. checks if there are any baboons in canoes near you. Mm-hmm. Um, one takes the job. Um, mm-hmm. And off you go. It's called Babooba. 
So I thought I would come here to the island. Frank, you're looking very healthy. Life on the island's been good to you. Is that um, that's a loincloth, is it? It's his cycling it's my shorts, cycling Danny. Don't cloth. get too close. They're worn away, aren't they? You've been doing a lot of cycling. Can I touch, Danny? Can I touch? Can I touch your baboon? Please, Torsten. Well, it's, it's a pound. It's a pound to touch the baboon. Um, oh. And he will grunt. So you know, give it a go. Uh, you know, it's fine. It's a contactless it's baboon. Okay. okay. I'll keep a distance, a respectful yeah. distance. Uh, we can wave him off now. See you soon. Bye bye, Torsten. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't be daft. Go by raft. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have to give him a star rating? Does he give you one back? Or? It's very nerve-wracking, actually, yeah, because mm. you, you're both on your best behaviour. Um, yep. So he will say some things that are... I mean, you have to be very careful not to be rude about baboons. Um, yes. That's the main okay. thing baboons are worried about. Well, was he wearing trousers? I don't know. I, I, what? Well, I don't want to... <laughs> he's in the canoe, you see. Of course so. <laughs> he's in the canoe. No, because with a baboon, that's... He was topless, I can tell you that much. Well, the top half of a baboon is not the problematic half of a baboon. No, I find find I'm quite relieved when they're wedged into that little canoe. Oh, well, well, look, anyway, thank you for coming to our island, Danny. Not at all. Thanks for um, inviting me when you said it was... I don't think you were invited. He was not invited. I was not him. He just turns up. Okay. Guys, guys, what's listen, I what's gone on? Because Danny and I haven't met before. I'm feeling though, I'm sensing a bit of bad blood. I mean that way. Why don't you explain? Well, part of the beef is that I was talking to Danny Wallace one day. Talking at me. About (laughs) We were both writing the same book at the same time. We had a conversation about what (gasps) books we were writing. And he said, Oh, mine's about when the internet stops. And mine was also about when the internet stops. And that had happened to me once before. It was all around the time, though, Nadia, that you have Mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. for for context, I was waking up every morning and finding a ladder outside my window (laughs) and a tiny pair of binoculars every single night. And then Frank's like, oh, so uh, what's your new book about? And I say, well, Frank, I'm pretty sure you know. Yeah. And then it was a race, wasn't it? A race to get out. He's well known for that. Randolph mm. boy, sadly. So Danny's book was called National Treasure My Eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, Danny, I read your book. Did you? God. Uh, yeah, the day the day the screens went blank. Mm. My son and I read it and enjoyed it very much. I knew someone well, must have I'm read it. Very pleased. <laughs> mm. You wouldn't understand it, Frank. Some of the words and concepts are a little beyond you, but children seem to enjoy it. And um, yeah, it was. Um, I loved writing that one. It sort of really, really flowed when I was writing it. I think. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> I was writing it um, during the pandemic, and when the world was getting stranger and stranger outside my window, and I was actually I was writing it in my old office, which was on an old U.S. Air Force base, oh, yeah. really wow. desolate, crows everywhere, and just it's completely flat. And every now and again out of nowhere with no warning someone would practice landing an Apache helicopter outside my window so oh my constantly God. I was constantly on edge in case SWAT were going to burst through my windows or something mm-hmm. and I found myself in a race to make my book weirder than the world in real life oh, that's uh, so had become because I, you know I remember driving having to go drive to London um, to pick something up or do something and there's just been these big signs essentially saying, like, France is closed. 
mm. turn around. And you're going, well, this is insane. And I'm thinking, I've got to make my book weirder than this. Yeah. But it provided lots and lots of inspiration. The idea being, what would happen in a world where all the screens went blank? How would you get in touch with your grandma if she lived on the other side of the country if you couldn't Skype her? Or you didn't know what her phone number was because you don't remember phone numbers anymore. Yeah. And you just mm. type G for grandma on your phone. Um, how would you get across the country if your sat-nav doesn't work? And you can't withdraw money because you can't see how to do it. You can't buy petrol. So it was uh, it was inspired by those times. It just uh, flowed out. And also, I um, propped a ladder up against Frank's window, and that gave me lots of extra ideas. No, it was really good that you were on an airfield because you could launch your drone off, your spy drone, to come and watch me, as you know. Yeah, the only, the only, thing, that, the only thing that drones off here is you, Frank. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is brilliant. <laughs> This is all I've wanted. But, Someone to come and take Frank down. But we were, <laughs> but we were. I was. We were talking before about books that are like short and funny. Uh, uh, like you. But, but, but you're short and funny like me. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to know, Danny is one of these people who pretends to be tall. So you have. Oh. <laughs> he goes round pretending to be tall, but oh, he's actually guys, not tall. Please, uh, yeah. we can't. I can't. He's actually, he is an optical illusion. Let's not have a height fight. Come on. We had our photograph taken together once. We were doing a, um, a how we met for yeah. newspapers. A sort of ne- nemesis origin story. And, like and of Joker course... Joker and Batman. Yeah. And of course, I don't need to tell you, Frank was mm-hmm. very late. Of course he And was. when Frank arrived... Inexplicably, he was wearing a tuxedo. No. No one knows why to this day. Oh, my. Oh my so I'm now expected, in what I assume was a power play, <laughs> to stand next to a very smart, very successful-looking Frank in my normal civilian clothes. Well, Nadia, that does not sit well with me one bit. So I have to, I have to dig out a tuxedo of my own oh so my that I can goodness. stand next to him and we at least look like two... Equally, you know, smart people. I was going to say furious, furious penguins. Yeah, <laughs> but we we go to the local park and we decide we're going to stand next to each other. I think I suggested that we hold hands because it would you look uh, unusual, but it would be a, 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 a silent way of implying friendship. Anyway, Frank then goes back to Liverpool, and for the next three or four days, I keep hearing rumours that I've got married in a park. <laughs> Because we'd been spotted, me and Frank, having our photo taken, standing in the middle of a park, wearing tuxedos. And I don't know if we were married that day. It's, it's, I think it's possible. We I think we it's possible. Well, I mean, you know, you know, I congratulations, guys. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank That's you. That's really beautiful. But it's turned into a very acrimonious marriage. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say, clearly, you guys need to maybe have a sit down. Maybe we need a talking stick. <laughs> yeah. Or um, maybe that's why, Frank, is that why you asked Danny to the island? So that we could just ask him. these issues? I didn't ask him. He just came. <laughs> okay. That's an unhelpful attitude, isn't it? <laughs> saying you didn't ask him. Well, that's what he's like, Nadia. I don't need to tell you that. <sighs> Can I drag this conversation somewhere towards you? I was going to say, sure. are, we, that, are we giving up on this? That idea of the short, funny book that's got something to say, Danny has kind of mastered that, I think. You had that mm-hmm. lovely Hamish series, but you sort of dropped Hamish because you are quite a disloyal person. <laughs> 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 but 
now you there's the day the screens went blank and i've just read the boss of everyone which i think mm. is an absolute gem the boss of everyone is about oh. a girl who is uh, the worst thing a character in a book can, a children's book can be she's really school shaped she's really happy in school <laughs> and she's the one just to sort of teach his pet and everything and the twist is that she then takes over her dad's workplace and runs it like school so when people sort of snigger she goes would you like to share that with the rest of us and she also institutes she sounds amazing <laughs> she's great and she's, I, I was quite school shaped yes <laughs> she's actually adorable but just just nobody in the book adores her you adore her and it's just a brilliant piece of work and I sat down to sort of laugh at it not with it because you'd written it sure just go look what he's doing now <laughs> that and the day the screens went blank for me they are really good examples of what Nadia was talking about that it's funny but it's got something to say and it's got real heart to it and that hats off you know really good well you oh. really nail I mean not to be too nice to you Danny but you do nail the kind of perspective of looking at the world from you wait the child's perspective so that's what I like is that you're clearly on the side of the child so do you think that voice do you really remember what it felt like to be I don't know nine or ten or or do you or does it come more from observing kids now I think well I think you know a, a bit of both and I'm, I'm pleased that you like those characters because I really I really um fell in love with them a bit and uh, you know like when you're reading a book and you're getting towards the end and you can feel in your hand that the pages are dwindling and you kind of want to slow down because you will yeah. miss these people it was the same for me when I was writing it I was like oh just a bit more I'll spend a bit more oh. time with her you know and I do like the fact that she adores school and one minor twist in it which is early on so it's not really spoiling anything is that I mean she just wants to spend all her time with the you know, the head teacher and finding out her secrets and what she does at the school and what makes it work and giving her lots and lots and lots of examples of what other schools do and maybe what she's doing wrong or could do better. And then of course it turns out that it's every kid's nightmare, which is actually her dream, which is her mum is the head teacher. And that makes it very easy for her mum to want her out the door for at least <laughs> a week and make her dad's problem for a bit. Mm. So her going there, it, I started to, I suppose I was, I was seeing what my kids' teachers do and thinking, oh, that's a good thing they do. Oh, that's a nice thing. Like, my kids go to this lovely little state school where on a Friday the, the teachers become DJs in the afternoon and let them dance around for a while. And they, they get ping pong tables if they can and, and let the kids play ping pong. And it, it seems like what school should be, which is you work hard, but you have fun. And it seems like we've lost the second part of that when it comes to being grown-ups. Um, we work hard, and that's that. Or, you know, they play hard at weekends. But there isn't that sense of fun or encouragement or positivity. And I just thought, what if you applied all that to a workplace? Would it all work? Would grown-ups remember what it was like to actually be encouraged um, rather than terrified of, mm. you know, of the people in charge? And so I think that part of it comes from, yeah, seeing my kids now. And also, um, I've, I think I've mentioned it to you before, Frank, but the question I ask my kids when they get home from school is not, what did you learn today? Because they've learned what the other kids have learned. I ask them, what made you laugh today? Because those are those little unique moments um, that inform me a bit about them and their character and 
their friends and what they do and what they find funny. And they're also the things that they would forget mm. because we all forget those little moments. They just go down the cracks, you know. But this way, at least we can remember that moment, at least you know, for a day. And, and I think that really helps me write kids, finding out the, the real moments uh, in their everyday life. Well, one of the things I loved about it was that I think since the pandemic, definitely, I mean, I, I'm sure you do as well. I go to a lot of primary schools. And one of the sort of tropes of children's fiction forever has been school is horrible. I can't wait for the holidays. Uh, whereas I'm finding a lot of children now for whom school is the happy place. School is where they're secure. Mm. School is where they're fed. School is where life is yeah. predictable and fair. And they love school. And I've been to schools now where I've been taken aside by the teacher and say, I'm told, don't talk about Christmas or don't ask them about the summer holidays. So I think you've really caught that without kind of being bleak at all. I mean, they're quite bleak things to think about. But that idea that school is somewhere you mm. escape from, I think that's been questioned a lot. And I, this is one of the very first books I've ever read where school is like a really jolly place. Unless it's a school that yeah. you're sent to and it's kind of the magical adventure. I love that about it. But and also, ever since the Brothers Grimm, the dice are loaded against the good kids in a story. So it's like, you know, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's like, it's the, the elder brothers who do all the work, they're rubbish. It's the younger brother who gets the gets everything, you know? Yeah. And th there's no bigger hate figure than the teacher's pet. And you've taken that <laughs> teacher's pet and made her the hero of this. And I think the other thing is that we're in a time of terrible, terrible leadership, like appalling leadership across the board. And I never come out of a primary school without thinking, why don't we just run the country like a primary school? Why don't primary school yeah. heads take over the country? It will be a really good country. There'll be lots of recycling, lots of cuddles. There'll be very little negativity and there'll be a lot of problem solving. And again, you've yeah. caught that really, really well, I think. it's. I, I love this book so much. Oh, that, that's so nice to hear. It, it um, made me want to ask I, I think... who actually wrote it, really. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I realised I realized after putting that ladder up against your window just how little work you do. That's so and true. So I moved on to I moved on to various different authors after that. And um, it's really working out for me. Yeah, good. Guys, I thought we were making progress and you've just, both of you, you can both stop laughing. I'm very disappointed in both I'm of you. Say, is there something you'd like to share with us, Danny? That's the killer. Yeah, yeah, no, but, but, but. Um, Do you know, can I just say before I forget, my favourite line in it is when her mother says to her, it, you should go with your dad because you and I have spent a lot of time together. A lot of time together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, qu I quite like it when um, they're they're driving home after their first day. I think it is, and the dad is can't believe what's happened because this <laughs> girl has been made his boss, and his knuckles are white on the steering wheel. And she sees that he's stressed, and so she doesn't want him to be stressed. Of course not. And so she puts her hand on his shoulder and just leans there and just goes, "Look, I, I don't want you to think of me as your boss." <laughs> And it's just the worst thing he could possibly hear. Um, so um, yeah, that's all. That's all fun. But that's so nice what you're saying about schools and stuff, and and that culture that if we did bring into wider society, that that caring and that that sense of responsibility as well, responsibility for yourself and for others and for the planet, the world would be a better place. Can I ask Danny what you were like at school? Were you were you kind of bookish? Were you a mixture of things? I was kind of everyone's mate. 
I could move between the the different gangs. I think I was quite good. I was always playing pranks, but I, I hope that they were imaginative pranks. I think they were. It was never mean. It was to create a yeah. moment. It was to create a funny yeah. moment to bond us, and I would work quite hard on them. So like, my friend had to do a. <laughs> We had to design like a shopping centre, and he'd worked for ages to design something called the Pagoda Shopping Centres. Then he was about to hand it in, and my teachers, who knew what I was like, they would sort of go along with stuff. And so at register, I would I hand my teacher a, uh, an envelope, and I'd go, "Could you give that to to Little Dan?" And Little Dan was called Little Dan because I was Dan, and Little Dan was like an inch shorter than me, and Big Dan was about an inch higher. <laughs> So I said, could you hand that to little Dan? And she looked at me and she was like, all right. And she walks over and goes, uh, Daniel, um, you've had a letter. And Daniel opens it and his face just goes white because um, it's a very complicated um, letter written in legalese from the Pagoda Shopping Centres International, who was part of their school's outreach programme, often asked to see designs from students and were absolutely furious to find out that someone had breached their copyright. So any and all references to pagodas <laughs> had to be removed forthwith. You know? and, and his face, when he realised that the one thing in this thing was a pagoda, <laughs> that was the Aww. one thing he couldn't... Um, but then I was able to just go, hey... And it and we laughed and we became closer friends. So did I was there. Though? Did we you? did. We absolutely did. <laughs> so I was always doing stuff like that. But I would work hard. But the things that I would work hardest on were the mm. school projects. And it could be the most boring thing in the world. It could be the use of rubberized technology in oil, whatever. It's the things I don't care about. But I would try and make it the best project I could because mm. it was mine and no one else would see it until the day I handed it in, and then I would hand it in feeling proud. And it's the exact same feeling I have with books yeah. and stories. It's mine. It's on a computer. I can keep making it better and better, and I can keep adding jokes or layers or new characters, but mm. no one knows about it until the day you send it somewhere and you lose all control. And that's yeah. that's very odd. It's it, I suppose it's like raising a kid, isn't it? <laughs> one day at 18, you have to sort of push him out the door and go yeah. well good luck i'll do my best yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. with with the because you've written obviously lots of very successful uh books for adult readers mm. but with your children's books i'm interested to know how you feel because i know that feeling that you describe i know it very well uh i am a control freak and i like <laughs> to be in charge of everything but with you with your um children's books they are fantastically illustrated by Gemma mm. Coral. yeah yes and th i think they work fantastically well by the way um but how does that feel for you that must be a whole new quite strange experience yes it is but I love it and uh, I'll tell you why um, there's a few reasons one is she's so good as yeah. is Jamie Littler who did uh, all the illustrations for uh, the Hamish series yeah and in in the right hands when you find someone where you both kind of get each other or it, it all complements each other I like it when they add their own jokes mm. that they have been inspired by through the the book and things that I hadn't thought of or wouldn't have thought of more to the point and they put that in and it makes it better it's like when I was reading the Beano as a kid and you would look in the background of various panels because the artist would have added an extra joke somewhere for you to find and you would find it usually on your second read but that's why it was satisfying it feels like it's attention to detail or care mm, mm. Um, that's the first reason the second reason is 
if she's illustrating, that means I don't have to be writing. <laughs> yes. um, so it's someone else's problem for a bit yeah. until it comes back to you and it will come back better. Yeah. So those are two of the, the main reasons. There was a third one. Yeah, I'm sure I'll remember. Did you, were you, so you, were you a comic book reader? Oh, yeah. When you were younger? Well, I grew up in Dundee in Scotland, which was the home of oh, the Beano. Yes. Yeah, and it yeah. seemed remarkable to me that these characters that I loved so much were being drawn in my city. Mm. And yeah. one day, Babysitter told me that I think her dad or her uncle was an artist for Topper, which I also read. And that had Beryl Apparel in it. Yeah. And so right here, where I am right now, I'm looking at an original drawing of Beryl Apparel no, uh, being chased no. by her dad, who is about to hit her with a slipper. So maybe not of this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it says, hi, Daniel. Can't stop now. Dad's after me again. Wow. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And I was like, this is incredible. And l years later, I got the chance to write a story for the Beano. <gasps> And uh, Dennis the Menace, and and I and I tell you what, I think the Beano taught me how to write stories in a sense. It taught me about mm. the logic of a world. It taught me about the importance of jokes and attention to detail, and about characters. And it was only when I had to write a story for the Beano that I realised how I'd massively underestimated what they do and their rules. Because yeah. I'd come up with this story that I thought was good, and they sat around a table and just tore it apart and went, Nasha would never do that. And I'm like, what? He's, I'm just like, he's playing a trick on Dennis. And they're like, that's your first mistake. Nasher is loyalty itself. He would never do that. And there was almost a kind of a righteous indignation to it that I would mm. deign to turn up with an idea of turning Nasher into a naughty dog. And that's when I realized, oh, God, of course, that's why it works. That's why it's lasted. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. why people yeah. get it. Yeah. That's why you can pick it up after three years and still understand it. Yeah, so I was a big comic book kid, yeah. God, that's amazing. Where, when did you do the Beano story? That would have been about 2012 it was, I remember, because I was doing a breakfast show at the time on the radio, and I took the day off to go up to Dundee and do that. And when I arrived, I went to the uh, reception, and two fun things happened for me. The first was, they were listening to the radio station that I was normally on, and there was someone saying that I wasn't there which was true because I was there. But the girl at reception had no idea that I was the person that she normally listened to. And the second thing was there was an old man who turned up, very tall, with a rolled up bunch of A3 paper. And I thought, could that be Dave Sutherland, who is the guy that drew the Dennis the Menace of my youth? And now he did the Bass Street Kids. And it was him. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it's the new... Bass Street Kids, and he's been doing it like half a century. Oh. And I said, you seem nervous. And he's like, well, I just hope they like it. And I'm oh. like, I'm pretty sure they're going to like it. <laughs> and it was amazing to me that the care that he still had for it and yeah. the nerves that he still had, hoping, hoping this was okay, yeah. that they weren't going to look disappointed, that the kids were going to love it, more to the point. That's so, cool. yeah, there's a real humility there. Well, that's amazing. I guess if someone stops caring, then that's a warning sign, isn't it? That yes, Frank, isn't it? Stop. <laughs> isn't it, Frank? Wouldn't you say? Oh, I, right. I am loving this. Nadia's normally, made a good point. Normally, Danny, I'm the one that has to keep Frank in check, Sorry, but I can just I do, chill out today. I dozed off there, so I missed it. I'm sure it, I'm sure it was wow. funny. <laughs> Listen, I was going to ask you, because we talked a lot of write, writers about writing, but it struck yeah. me when you were talking that the three of us... We, but we all end up having to perform. 
you know, effectively with children's mm. entertainers quite a lot of the time. And D- Danny and I have a, we had a kind of apocalypse now thing where the two of us performed at Preston North End Stadium in the rain. Oh, yeah. It was just beyond description. Like we couldn't, you couldn't communicate at all. But uh, so, that was, by the way, I, that was my first ever children's event. Right. I'd love, I'd love to be witty about it, but it's just been, we've both <laughs> suppressed that memory, I imagine. Can you just set the scene for me with this, though? Because now I'm imagining you and Danny on a football pitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? So at the moment, here we are toasting ourselves mm. on a golden beach in the sea mm. uh, at the moment, aren't we? But let me whisk you away to a rainy Preston in mid-March with the wind howling, mm. hailstones coming down, and the terrace is packed with children mm-hmm. who don't know why they're there. And... <laughs> <laughs> And us coming out and failing to illuminate them about why they were there. Oh, no. Did you have mics or did you have to shout? We did have mics, but they were very ineffective against against the elements. Well, everyone was miles away. And and they said to me, you know, if there's any visual elements you wish to bring... (laughs) Um, then why not, you know, email it across? And I said, yeah, well, absolutely I will, expecting like a Jumbotron-style screen. Um, in fact, it was on a tiny screen about a quarter of a mile away. So all the kids are, like, straining their eyes. The ones who bought opera glasses yeah. happy. <laughs> they couldn't see. They had to go on trust with what I was saying, a man they'd never met or heard of and could barely hear. Oh, look. What's going on now? Oh, oh, what is, oh my God. Look at that. In that oh, my look God. Can you see in that little rock pool? Look at that little rock pool. An image just shimmered up. What is that? That's a Preston like, Preston North like Football Club. Frank and Danny being hustled off a football pitch. Yes. <laughs> That's brought to mind the moment when wow. I finally said, should we just sing Let It Go? <laughs> and they all just sang Let It Go. There's... <laughs> Well, the the oh. mayor, the mayor was there apparently. Yeah. I don't remember that. Maybe it's a, it could be a ghost. Oh no, it's a pirate. It's a guy dressed as a pirate. I think. I wouldn't a, trust this rock pool, guys. I wouldn't trust this rock pool. Yeah. It's slightly hallucinogenic. But we got through it. Yeah. Oh, those thought that makes me feel slightly panicky and queasy though, because I know we've all had any author listening will have had about a hundred of those horrible events. <laughs> yeah. There are those thousands of great events. Absolutely. Caveat, but but there are always a few horrors. So I mean, do you? Does, has that scarred you for life? Do you like the performance aspect? Because this, as a children's writer, you end up being a performer. That's kind of what I'm, whereas you become a writer partly because you don't like performing. <laughs> Writing starts with shyness in a way, you know, or with the standing backness, and then you, we end up having to just perform this stuff. Do you love that? Do you, you, do you have a good act? Do you have a set act? I try to do different things for different books, and and kind of always always have. That said, there are certain things you can you know fall into that you know kind of work but work. the ideas will all, will always be different but I sort of think of the book as a performance do you know what I mean I think you're, oh, you're yeah. performing when you're writing you know ad-libbing improvising yeah linking ideas um trying to make them laugh or think or whatever it is you're doing and so that's kind of the first performance I don't know if you're you know they say you know about finding your voice and stuff like that I, I find I've done so much writing over the years that if I pick up something that I've completely forgotten even writing, I can pretty much predict, I can sight read it. I can pretty much predict where I'm going right, to go. the rhythm of it. The tone of it. Yeah, or where there might be a twist or a use of repetition. You are predictable, I have to say. Yeah. Very predictable, very predictable. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think that, that that kind of helps you perform as well, if you're really familiar with your own voice, um, your own when style. When you write in 
do you have that audience in mind? Do you, do you think to yourself, because I really do, I have a, a visceral sense that one day I'm going to be standing up in front of like 400 kids of whom like 40 want to be there. So <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, and I, can't, I ask myself, will I want to read this bit out? Well, I sort of try and find that out on my first reading to one of my kids. So I'll read it out loud to one of them because I very quickly get the sense, even, you know, from my own opinion, but also from their reaction, oh, this bit's dragging. This bit right. can do with another joke. I didn't need that joke there, actually. That's one too many. I haven't explained enough about this situation. And so that's when I get to that bit. I don't think about it as much when I'm writing. I think about the page. And then when I'm reading it out, I think about uh, the future a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um. Danny, may I ask you, first question, have you got any snacks you can leave with us on the island? Because Now, here's the thing. When Frank did invite me, mm. he, it was a very curt and rude invitation. And oh. I, I'll be honest, what? the man can barely write an email. <laughs> and so I didn't get all the way through. And so I, I got the wrong end of the stick. I had lots of lots of treats that I was going to bring you. I mm -hmm, had mm -hmm. various Germanic sandwiches and snacks. I notice you're a pretzel person. Um, <laughs> I, I, I brought even more Calippos, but then yeah. turns out you don't need them. And so no. I left all the snacks at home. And I, right. I, I think I got the wrong end of the stick because what I did was I, I thought, what won't they have? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I brought you lots and lots of children's literature. Great. So. <laughs> Great. And from listening to the previous podcasts, it's all stuff you've already got or you've read. Yeah, yeah great. So yeah, I'll just leave, I'll just leave it with you. Well, yeah. see what you mean, Frank. <gasps> Come round to your way of thinking. Danny Wallace, getting the sea. That's what that invitation <laughs> said, and he interpreted that. As, Come round. Well, can you tell me which books you brought with you to leave with us? Sure. Well, you know, you you started at the the top of the show with some um, lovely contemporary books, and I thought I would go. Mm -hmm. Um, old school for this one and I also I know Nadia that you were a big fan of P.G. Woodhouse when you were growing up in the 1980s in the cul-de-sac in Telford and what? I was exactly the same minus the cul-de-sac in Telford um, I'm glad for you I absolutely loved P.G. Woodhouse when I got to maybe I suppose about 12 I think I'd, I'd also been into obviously Adrian Mole and it was then that I was discovering that things could really make me laugh just you know things written on a page could actually make me laugh I've just remembered the thing I was going to say about illustrators. The, oh, the third thing. It was an early inspiration. My parents knew a romantic novelist called Eileen Townsend. And we used to go around to their house for like dinner. But I'm an only child, so I never had anyone to play with. And so I sat in Eileen's study where she was writing her next book. And I looked up and I was so inspired because on her wall, she had her next book, but the printouts of the possible covers um, and what they could what they could be and there was a red one and there was a blue one and there was a purple one and they were all slightly different and I remember sitting there going my god how cool is that that when you've done a book someone else creates something about it or around it and I remember looking at those covers and being really inspired and wanting to be part of that process I remember when I wrote my first book and that cover thing happened I was just like mm. this this is incredible so I get that feeling when Gemma puts the artwork together and the designer gets involved and creates. That was another lovely thing. And, and I remember that because I was talking about contemporary books versus childhood mm -hmm. classics. And mm -hmm. that brings me to what I'm leaving you with here. Okay. And, and it's something I've reintroduced or introduced to my kids. But it's something I 
grew up on and I remember buying it in Loughborough in the 80s and it's Brian Patton gargling with jelly oh I remember that and it's banger after banger you know little worlds in short poems and the great thing about something like this is if you've got someone who's not a massive reader either you can read with them and Mm -hmm. get the rhythm of it across and the jokes and, and have fun with them or leave it with them and let them decide how much they want to read because it feels like for someone who's not into reading a poem feels like a chapter Mm -hmm. but some of them are quite short so you go I'll just do one more I'll just do Mm -hmm. one more and so Brian Patton for me was he was the the first kind of poet I I suppose I I got into I just loved them and I I love the fact that it's it's up to you how how much or how little you read and when oh that's That's honestly that's such a blast from the past I'm gonna get I have to get myself another copy of that I have that exact one that you're that you're waving around. Not this exact one. Now. How dare you? That is, okay, not that exact one. Very similar. Very similar. It's a bold claim. It's like, where's There'd it? There'd be a little <laughs> chocolate digestive stain on the back. Is that still Yeah. I mean, I, yeah? I, I did take my eye off it for about 30 years, so at some point well, it's feasible that you did that. But do you know what? This, this, this reminds me of something you guys were saying on one of your podcasts, or it made me think this. Unbelievably, I think it was Frank that made me think. And it was this. It was that you have your copy of the book that you really like um, and it's your copy and that's why it's special and it, 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 I think that's so true because you can go around to someone else's house and you can find Gargling with Jelly Brian Patton and you'll be like that's a really good book but you're yeah. also thinking that's not as good as my one <laughs> because, because, because my one has been with me and the yeah. creases yes. down its spine yeah. are mine yeah. and the tea stains and the digestive chocolate thing on the back those are mine and the bit I remember that where I dropped it in the bath a bit and I thought it'd be fine because I put it on the radiator and it's knackered now (laughs) but it's mine and it's better than yours Um, and there's something about that because you've shared you've shared a journey with it yeah that's very true it's like a little sibling oh well thank you Danny Wallace Danny Wallace Danny Wallace will you read us one of those poems Danny Wallace and the magic word is please Danny Wallace thank you Um, and Nadia what I normally do Mm -hmm. After I've made Frank his beans and bathed him. Yep. I oh. hate that bit of my day. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> Isn't it? I'll beans, often... and beans and bath time. Yeah, beans, oh. beans and bath time, boys time. No thanks. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll read him a little something just to try and lull him. To subdue him and to try and make him remain docile, I'll read him simple poetry. So here's one he likes. I've never heard the Queen sneeze. I've never heard the Queen sneeze, or seen her blow her nose. I've never seen her pick a spot or tread on someone's toes. I've never seen her slide upon a slippery piece of ice. I've never seen her frown and say, this jelly is not nice. I've never seen her stick a finger in her royal and waxy ear. I've never seen her take it out and sniff and say, oh dear. I've never seen her swap her jewels or play frisbee with her crown. I've never seen her spill her soup or drop porridge on her gown. I wonder what she does when she sits at home alone, playing with her corgis and throwing them a bone. I bet they've seen the Queen sneeze and seen her blow her nose. I bet they've seen her pick a spot and tread on someone's toes. I bet they've seen her slide upon a slippery piece of ice. I bet they've seen her frown and say, "'This jelly is not nice.' I bet they've seen her stick a finger in her royal and waxy ear. I bet they've even seen her take it out and sniff and say, Oh dear. <laughs> I bet they've seen her swap her jewels and play frisbee with her crown. I bet they've seen her spill her soup and drop porridge on her gown. 
So why can't I do all these things without being sent to bed? Or failing that, why can't I be made the Queen instead? Very, very disrespectful. Very good. Well, very. it's... it's I, I read that because it shows the childish arrogance on display here today, Frank. <laughs> oh, I just I just had an alert, actually. Tor- Torsten is on his way back. Um, is there room for one more? Or? She's always I'm afraid, trying to no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're, you're very much stuck here. Right. But okay. um, I've left you well, this mountain of books you've already got. Thank you. And Torsten, I've I've put a little diversion in. We're going to swing by the Maccas. You know, there's a Maccas near here. It's oh. not near, it's not on the island, but uh, what? Yeah, it's very close, really? tantalisingly close, but just average. What's 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 your order going to be? Just everything, talk me through it. Everything. Oh God. Well, I bet the milkshake machine's not working, and I bet they're not doing McFlurries. So whatever. Right. You know. Anyway, thanks. I suppose, Danny. It has been nice to oh, have you here. Here he is. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh. Thank you very much. Um, well, right, Austin. Um, yeah. Thanks for dropping in on Invited. Frank, make an effort. Danny make Wallace. An effort. Mm. No. Well, it's nice no, to say goodbye. Nice goodbye. Very nice. Yes, to say it's to wonderful. You. <laughs> we should say goodbye more often. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I say as I get further and further away. Torsten. <laughs> Hurry up, Torsten. Torsten, take me to the McDonald's, please. Take Danny, come back in a month. Come back in a month. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Danny. Bye. Frank, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Look at yourself. Oh, but he deserves it. Honestly. He deserves it. When they go low, you go high, Frank. That's very, very hard when he's so much taller than I am. Well, I didn't want to say, but you can stand on a box. <laughs> I will I will stand on a box from now on. Would you like to have beans and bath time? No, I'd like to hear a civilised, grown-up human voice. So I'm going to pick up the convenient shell and listen to the soothing voice of Emily Drabble from Book Trust with her book recommendations. Hi, Frank. Hi, Nadia. And I hope the books that I'm sending are arriving. I've got five more to tell you about today. OK, my first book is by Stephen Hogton. It's called Deep. A story of love through the generations and it's published by Bloomsbury. It's the story of a mother whale and her baby whale starts as soon as the baby whale takes its first breath and all the way through this whale growing up and learning how to survive on its own in the ocean with his mother's love all around him. It's a very philosophical book, very deep book, just like the title, deep, multi-layered. So on one level it is just this story Um, of the whale growing up but on another level it's a very philosophical tale about life and how to live your life and how you have to let your children go into the world and how they grow up and how it all passes within the blinking of an eye so it's a kind of book that um, parents might be crying over as well. So I'm thinking as you're surrounded by the sea so you might be thinking about what lies beneath so with this next book I'm sticking to whales but this time in a wonderful middle grade book, so it's really great for nine to 11 year olds. It's Calling the Whales. It's by Jasbinda Bilan with lovely illustrations by Skylar White and it's published by Barrington Stoke. So just like all Barrington Stoke books, it's perfect for dyslexic readers with lots of blank spaces, a special dyslexia friendly font and thick paper so that the text and artwork don't show through the page. Now, Calling the Whales is a most charming tale 
is what happens when Tulsi and her best friend Sachin find a young humpback whale in the sea close to their Scottish island home. It's way too close to the shore and it's actually trapped and it's stranded. And Tulsi and Sachin are so brave in what they do next to save the whale, although actually it's really dangerous. Ultimately, this is a really powerful and quick to read adventure story. It's great to read on holiday. And there's a strong environmental message about the threat to whales from boats, fishing ropes and lines and noise pollution. And there's really good information in the back of the book. I highly recommend this. Okay, my third recommendation is Stolen History by Satnam Sangera, illustrated by Jen Khartoum, absolutely brilliant illustrations, published by Puffin. This book just totally blew me away. It's subtitled The Truth About the British Empire and How It Shaped Us. And if any adults have heard or read Empire Land by the author, it's kind of like that mixed up with horrible histories. It's perfect for any child over the age of about nine. But actually, this book is required reading, honestly, for all children and all adults, including you guys on your island. You need to read it before you get any weird flag-sticking ideas. It's actually shocking that most children learn pretty much nothing about the British Empire at school when it's just so relevant to our identity. It's so fascinating. It literally affects all of our lives in so many ways. And the author is such a great amusing guide to this subject of empire this book is genuinely the opposite to a history book in terms of how funny it is and its style it's utterly brilliant it's so challenging and i'm sure it'll be the start of loads of kids asking questions fighting racism and literally changing the world for the better just as a really great children's book will do now i want to recommend the midnight babies by isabel greenberg published by Abrams Books for Young Readers. I don't know how you find falling asleep on the island. You've got your lovely hammock, so probably it's quite easy. But this book is just such a wonderful romp and it will make lots of parents and carers laugh quite bitterly as it's about all those babies who resist sleep. In this book, the clock strikes midnight, but somebody is not asleep and she rounds up all the other midnight babies who have a kind of wide-eyed, almost zombie look in Isabel Greenberg's fabulous illustrations. They're ready to cause mayhem. They pledge to stay up all night, but slowly they fall asleep at hurdles such as cosy nightlights, story fish, teddy hugs, snuggles with bunnies. How can they resist? But the chief wide-awake baby does resist for ages but then realises dreams are so much more fun so this has to be the best book to read to sleep resistors of all time. I would have loved to read this to my kids who are sadly too old to read this book now. Okay my last recommendation is Imagine If Veggies by Aya Watanabe, publisher Templar Books. This is an adorable, brightly coloured, interactive, totally chewable, robust baby board book. I love it. So imagine if cucumbers were actually little hammocks or if tiny people lived inside corn cobs. Veggies are so amazing if you can only use your imagination. Pull the tabs, push them back, turn the pages yourself, have a nibble. It's interactive delight. It's great for babies and toddlers to realise so early that books are fun 
and it could even encourage little ones to get curious about eating more vegetables. Alternatively, they could be afraid tiny people will live in them and have, that could have the opposite effect, but I'm joking, this won't happen. Get it for a baby. And Frank and Nadia, good night. I hope my books arrive by hot air balloon soon. And I hope you have a lovely time reading on your hammock with the sea splashing up on the shore. Oh, thank you, Emily Drabble from Book Trust for your lovely recommendations. Um, Frank, I think it's time for us to maybe just get back in our hammocks and wind down. Let's say a big thank you. And I'd like you to join in with this thank you, uh, please, Frank. Let's say thank you to our guest, Danny Wallace. Thank you, thank you, Danny Wallace. Frank. Dots. I'm still here and I heard it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can go. I win again. I win again. Sorry, Fran. Well done. You were the bigger man. (laughs) Thank you to the ukulele of Trio for your beautiful sounds. Uh, Shall we thank Emily Drabble from Book Trust, Frank? Thank you so much to Emily Drabble from Book Trust bringing a bit of class to this podcast and thank you to the wonderful jeff bird the wonderful jeff bird for herding cats and ice creams and baboons and authors it's a hard job but he does it well thank you jeff see you all next time bye 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 is he definitely gone